welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and And on on earth earth, peace to people of goodwill. goodwill. We We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty ever-living God, grant that we may always conform our will to yours and serve your majesty in sincerity of heart. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whom he has taken by his right hand to subdue nations before him and strip the loins of kings to force gateways before him that their gates be closed no more. It is for the sake of my servant Jacob, Israel my chosen one, that I have called you by your name, conferring a title though you do not know me. I am the Lord, unrivaled. There is no other God besides me. Though you do not know me, I arm you that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that apart from me all is nothing. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Give the Lord glory and honour. Give the Lord glory and honour. O sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell among the nations his glory and his wonders among all the peoples. Give the Lord glory and honour. The Lord is great and worthy of praise, to be feared above all gods. The gods of the heathens are naught. It was the Lord who made the heavens. Give the Lord glory and honour. 
Give the Lord, you families of peoples, give the Lord glory and power, give the Lord the glory of his name, bring an offering and enter his courts. Give the Lord glory and honour. Worship the Lord in his temple, O earth, tremble before him. Proclaim to the nations, God is king. He will judge the peoples in fairness. Give the Lord glory and honour. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. From Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church in Thessalonica, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, wishing you grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We always mention you in our prayers and thank God for you all, and constantly remember before God our Father how you have shown your faith in action, worked for love, and persevered through hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, brothers, that God loves you and that you have been chosen, because when we brought the good news to you, it came to you not only as words, but as power and as the Holy Spirit, as utter conviction. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Shine on the world like bright stars. You are offering it the Word of life. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. The Pharisees went away to work out between them how to trap Jesus in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him together with the Herodians to say, Master, we know that you're an honest man and teach the way of God in an honest way and that you are not afraid of anyone because a man's rank means nothing to you. Tell us your opinion then. Is it permissible to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus was aware of their malice and replied, You hypocrites! Why do you set this trap for me? Let me see the money you pay the tax with. They handed him a denarius and said, Whose head is this? Whose name? Caesar's, they replied. He then said to them, Very well, give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. There's a dirty little plot at play in the Gospel today. We hear about these Pharisees and these Herodians who are working together to trap Jesus. Now, I suppose we know the Pharisees quite well from the Scriptures. They're the scholars, the interpreters of the Mosaic Law. They're sticklers for religious adherence. The Herodians, however, they weren't a religious group, but a political group. They were the supporters of Herod Antipas, who was the king who reigned in Galilee, um, but reigned with the authority of the Roman Caesar. Um, At that time, it was uh, the Emperor Tiberius. Now, the Herodians, of course, supported the legitimacy of the census tax because, you know, they were the collaborators with the Romans. But here's the thing, right? The Roman occupation, it poses somewhat of a problem for the Pharisees. And it's a theological problem. Because, you know, God is the true king of the people of Israel. He's the rightful ruler. 
And it means that if Caesar, and, you know, by extension Herod, claimed to be king, then really he had taken the place of God. Israel could have no other king than the one given by God himself. And so, you know, Herod, he's actually a pretender to the throne. Like, he's stealing the authority away from God. And even worse than that, the Roman emperor himself claimed a kind of divinity for himself, that he was a a godlike figure. And that this godlike figure is now ruling over Israel and imposing taxes on the people. So... It's a bit of a surprise then to see that these two groups are teaming up. The Pharisees especially would have hated the Herodians. I think you can probably measure that these Pharisees, they're more willing to work with Herodians to destroy Jesus because they hate Jesus even more. So they seek to lay a trap. It's not an honest question. They don't want to know about taxes. They don't care. It's designed to put Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. And it works like this, right? If he says yes to Caesar's tribute tax, then he proves himself to be the enemy. He proves himself to be the enemy of the zealots and the Pharisees. But if he says no to the tax, then he proves himself to be the enemy of the Romans. Either way, The question is being posed in this either-or form so that Jesus will find himself the object of the murderous hatred of one of the opposing sides. Now, of course, Jesus recognises their duplicity. These two opposing factions are teaming up in their mutual desire to destroy Jesus, and he calls them out. You hypocrites! Why do you set this trap for me? Now, the genius of Jesus is also exposed by the fact of where this conversation's happening. Um, if you remember, over the last few weeks, we've been reading on the Sundays the, the progress of the discourse between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the elders of the people. And this discourse is happening in the temple. Remember Jesus, he cleansed the temple, drove out the moneylenders and those who were selling animals for sacrifices. Now, having accused his opponents of being hypocrites, he now asks them for a coin. Give me a denarius. And foolishly, they hand one over and it gives Jesus the opportunity for him to ask them, whose head is on this coin? And the answer, of course, is Caesar's. You know, there's Tiberius's head. Hmm. Now they're in trouble. Now the hypocrisy has actually been exposed because the whole reason why there were money lenders in the temple is because they used a temple script because they used a special script in the temple. They used their own kind of currency. You can't bring Roman currency into the temple because it contains a graven image. Caesar held himself to be God, and so the coin itself is kind of idolatrous, right? So when you went into the temple, you took your Roman money, you exchanged it for temple money with the moneylenders, I mean, obviously at a pretty significant loss, and that way you could be innocent in giving a gift inside the temple. Well, Jesus is inside the temple. He asks the Pharisees for a coin. And they hand over a denarius, the very coin with the head of Caesar 
Tiberius. You idiots. You've just shown your own hypocrisy. You're angry and questioning Jesus about his act of cleansing the temple, and you're the ones who defile it yourselves. Anyway, Jesus is a bit of a class act, and he doesn't call them out on their overt hypocrisy in this moment. No, he just asks them whose head is on the coin. And they have to acknowledge, yep, it's Caesar's. But now he's actually going to answer their question about the tax. Whose head is it? Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Now, the coin already bears the image of Caesar, and therefore it expresses a certain ownership of Caesar over the coin. So give it to him. It's his. It doesn't matter. But it then begs the question, give to God what belongs to God. All right. Well, what bears God's image? That's what belongs to God. I mean, you've got to go straight to the book of Genesis, right? God said, let us make man in our own image, in the likeness of ourselves. God created man in the image of himself. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Give to Caesar what bears Caesar's image, but give to God what bears the image of God. In other words, give to God your whole self. Now, this is a pretty ancient interpretation of this scripture, and uh, a lot of the fathers of the church make reference to it. And Pope Benedict actually preached about this uh, at a mass for the new evangelization uh, in 2011. And he quoted St. Augustine, one of his great theological heroes. Um, And this is what he said. I thought I'd put it in front of you too. He said, If Caesar reclaims his own image impressed on the coin, he says, Will not God demand from man the divine image sculpted within him? And further, as the tribute money is rendered to him, Caesar, so should the soul be rendered to God, illumined and stamped with the light of his countenance. So you kind of pause and think, okay, God has given me my life and stamped me with his own image, which means that I now need to render myself back to him. Well, what was the good of giving my life to me in the first place? If it's my life, shouldn't it just remain my life? Well, it's here that we need to remember the dynamic of love into which we're inserted. You see, in creating me, he didn't just impress his image upon gold, something that remains lifeless. No, he impressed his image in a person, someone who would have a consciousness, someone who could say, I. Someone who could see, think, feel. Someone who could enjoy. Someone who was free. Someone who could love back. Now, having created the person, what is the greatest thing that God could give to that person that now exists? Well, it's himself. He is the fullness of life and love. And he has impressed his image upon us. And when we render ourselves unto him, we are, as St. Augustine says, illumined and stamped with the light of his countenance. Here's the paradox. You render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, you end up poorer. 
You render unto God what belongs to God. You end up with everything. So saying yes to God is in fact the great yes that we say to the full flourishing of our own life. It's perfectly reasonable to be afraid of Caesar and to be resentful of the taxes that we have to pay him. But our Heavenly Father is no Caesar. He loves us and he longs to pour into our laps a full measure of life, pressed down and overflowing. And now let's together profess our faith by praying the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the the Father Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself 
and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.